Welcome to Shovel Talk, a podcast for economic developers. From your friends at the Golden Shovel Agency. Hello and welcome back to Shovel Talk. We are back after a bit of a delay here early on in 2022, but we have a great guest on uh, this edition of Shovel Talk. But first, we need to know, where in the world is Amanda? Well, I am very excited to be back to traveling after about a two and a half month break, went home for the holidays, but I am now in Portugal. It's actually my first time in Europe. I'm so, so excited to be here. And um, I'm actually in a little surf town on the coast and I'm going to try to say the name correctly. Aracira, Aracira, something like that. You know, nobody in the the co-living house that I that I'm in right now knows how to say it exactly. So, but it's really cool because this is actually uh, basically the surfing capital of Europe. Aracira is the only world surf reserve in Europe. So I feel very lucky to have been able to go on, uh, to go surfing this last weekend. Actually, I went surfing on Saturday. And it was pretty awesome. So I'm excited to be here learning from uh, professionals in the area and just to experience Portugal uh, as a whole. So lots of really cool historic castles and palaces and different things to check out here. So it's been really neat so far. Thank you, Amanda. And I do recommend that maybe you try to figure out how to say the name of the city (laughs) you're living in. Um, It might be a good idea. (laughs) Maybe the locals might appreciate that. Hey, right, well, learned, I've learned a few Portuguese words, so I'm working on it. <laughs> well, you know, your remote work is a nice segue into this new series that we're going to kick off here today. If you've been paying attention to your emails over the past several months, I'm sure you've received a lot of content that Golden Shovel has been creating about the about the remote worker. So like I said, uh, we are going to have a little Shovel Talk series here, and Amanda can tell you a little bit more about it and, and get into our latest podcast. Yes, Darren, I'm so excited to be starting this new mini series about uh, remote workers. We are going to dedicate uh, some of the episodes this year to basically interviewing remote workers. And I'm so excited because it is going to be remote workers that I've met while traveling. So, you know, remote workers and digital nomads, they all kind of have a different I guess, way of life or way of living the remote work and travel lifestyle. Um, You know, some keep a home base, some don't. Um, It just kind of all depends on what works for them. So we're going to be kind of exploring their stories. You know, each one has a unique line of work or something they do as a side business or whatever it might be. And they definitely all have tips and tricks for business, for travel, for remote work. So I'm really, really excited to get into this mini series. Okay, so let's get to the very first interview in this Remote Worker podcast series. I'm excited to introduce everyone to my good friend, Alexis. I met Alexis in Kenya, actually. Uh, We traveled through Kenya, South Africa, and Lesotho together. So she is a remote worker, of course, and TikToker from the U.S., and she lives and works abroad. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into the interview. Uh, so Alexis, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. Um, I'm going to start with, of course, since you're a remote worker, um, where you're from and where you're based. Yeah, great. Um, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. I am, I'm actually from California, but I'm based in Warsaw, Poland. Warsaw, Poland. So can you share a little bit about what it's like living in Poland right now with everything going on uh, in the Ukraine? Yeah, absolutely. It's been kind of a unique situation and everybody's really doing their best to help. So as a lot of people are aware, Russia invaded Ukraine. Um, 
almost two weeks ago now, exactly two weeks ago now. Um, and so Poland has, as of today, taken in 1.3 million refugees and they just continue to come um, from Ukraine. And so what you see now on the ground at our train stations, anywhere you are in the country, even here in Warsaw um, or at the border is just Polish society kind of coming up to help a lot of the people that are making their way here and they don't know when they'll be able to get back to their to, make, to go back home, essentially. So for us, what that means on the ground is, you know, the the main train station here in Warsaw is always looking for volunteers. Everybody that I know has somebody staying with them in their home because, of course, all of the hotels and all of the Airbnbs and all of the places where there would be availability, especially in the big cities, have no more spaces available. So people need a place to stay. Um, and everybody's kind of coming together to bring supplies over to the main train stations as well as over on the border, because a lot of people are coming over with nothing but a, a backpack or a small carry-on between them. Um, and so, you know, people without basic necessities like toothpaste or body wash or even um, an extra pair of clothing. Um, so that's something that we're all trying to organize on the ground at a grassroots level. Um, there are, of course, lots of organizations that are also helping out with that, taking donations from um, all over the world. So places like UNICEF or here in Poland, we have Polska Akcja Humanitarna. I know Doctors Without Borders. Lots of organizations taking donations and getting things to the border, but things move so quickly. Um, and because we're getting all these people, we kind of have to respond to the needs as they happen. Lots of people needing rides from the border, getting people out there, taking supplies out there as well. So it's been a huge humanitarian uh, crisis in Poland. Yeah. Wow. That's scary, but so amazing that you guys are able to help out. Um you know, like, the, like you said, the people, you know, opening their homes and, and whatnot, that's amazing that they're able to do that and willing to do that. So it's a scary time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Polish society has been unbelievable, really. All right. Well, let's get into a little bit about you. So tell us uh, about your background um, and your career. Sure. So I'm an educator by education. So I started out with Teach for America, teaching history in New York City. Um, and since then, I've kind of worked all over the world in Poland, in Ukraine, in Armenia, uh, in the field of education, specifically working with the Teach for Network. Um, so I worked with Teach for Armenia. I worked at the Ministry of Education in Ukraine when Teach for Ukraine was just starting out, helping facilitate that. Um, and then throughout that entire time, I was also kind of on the side working with a tech startup that I started with at university when I was in university. Um, working part-time, working in marketing. And so when my time was done in Armenia back in 2019, my boss kind of asked me if I'd be willing to come and work full-time um, as the head of marketing and I could work remotely from wherever I felt most comfortable. Um, and so that's what I did. And so I'm now the head of marketing for this tech startup. Um, but I also, at the same time, like that was the first time I transitioned out of you know, education. I had only known education for the first eight years of my career. Um, and I, I felt a longing for that. So I decided to start a um, YouTube channel on the side because I was also going through my own financial literacy awakening personally. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning all the things I didn't know. I didn't know. Um, and so I thought, okay, maybe if I didn't know this, there are other people who wouldn't know this. And I started a YouTube channel with a friend of mine called Taboo Money. 
um, where we talked about personal finance and investing, and then at the same time opened a TikTok account and kind of fell in love with the short form content and the numbers of people that I could reach on that platform as well. So that's kind of where I, I stand today. Awesome. Yeah. And I have more and more clients and my clients are, you know, in economic development, I've told you, uh, shared yeah. with you, you know, what we do and, mm -hmm. and whatnot. So I've had more and more asking about, you know, should we be on TikTok? Is that, mm -hmm. you know, the next up and coming, which it's already here, obviously. Yeah. You know, it's it's a huge platform now. So and clients that are wanting to also help their businesses learn more about the newer types of social media platforms. So tell us a little bit about your experience with TikTok and why it's actually one of your main video platforms or main social platforms. Yeah, I would say yeah, definitely TikTok is the main social platform, at least for taboo money. And I loved it. I don't know. Uh, when I first started it, it took maybe about a month to kind of get the hang of such short form content because I think I think they've now upped it for some users to up to ten minutes of video. Yes, um, I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not as trying short to form. steal that audience from YouTube. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. That's exactly what's happening. Yep. <laughs> totally. And so, yeah, but like learning how to get a story across in 60 seconds or in under th three minutes was something, you know, you had to learn, but just the sheer amount of reach that you could have with an audience on TikTok was really compelling. And you get kind of immediate feedback to the content you're putting out there, um, especially because it is short form. So the viewer on the other side, you know, it takes, um, less for them to engage with that content and give you feedback from, from that. And so you're really quickly able to adapt and kind of change your content or get more creative with it in a way that will um, speak to your audience. Um, and so it's been the way that we've been able to reach the largest amount of people. And that has been the most exciting part. So I think definitely the reach, and I don't know if that's because I'm not really a computer science or algorithm expert. So I don't know if that's the way the algorithm is set up or has more to do with saturation that it hasn't really saturated as far as some of these other platforms have. Um, I'm not really sure which one of those or maybe both of those impact that, um, but definitely it's been the way that you can reach a large amount of people in a much shorter amount of time than you would, for example, starting out with zero on YouTube or Instagram. So do you have any um, maybe tips for businesses or organizations who haven't started on TikTok yet or maybe just started and are trying to grow mm. like a base audience? Absolutely. I think that the first thing is, of course, just getting started and posting, first of all, and like understanding how the platform works. Now, when I first started, which was almost exactly a year ago, actually, this month, I actually went on Skillshare to kind of figure out what I couldn't organically figure out on my own. It is pretty intuitive, but there are some features that I didn't even know existed. So I got on Skillshare and watched like a TikTok, how to make a TikTok uh, video. So that's really helpful if you are new to video content and video editing. And even if you aren't new, like I wasn't really new to that because of YouTube, but I was new to it on this platform. It's really helpful just to get some shortcuts and to understand how it works. Um, so I definitely recommend that. And then from that point, understanding who your audience is, but also remembering that the way the algorithm works, as far as I understand for right now, is that it's very regionally based. So from what I've been able to gather and what my analytics tell me is when you put a video out there, it is first released to a small group of people generally in your area, which is determined based off your SIM card and geolocation, obviously. 
So it sends out this small, your video to a small group of people. And if it does well there in terms of engagement, so uh, likes, comments, shares, but also keeping eyeballs on your video, then it'll push out to a greater number of people and so on and so on and so on. And eventually you can break out of your, your country or region the more that your video grows. So like that understanding has been super helpful in the development of my content, especially if you're not living, for example, in your country of origin, if you're living abroad, understanding that, okay, if you're doing content in English, for example, in Poland, where I am, for example, your audience is going to be a little bit smaller than if you were doing it in Polish. And then understanding what do people in the world around you where you are, what are they interested in as it applies, as it pertains to your niche? And how do you create content around that? And then you can slowly learn as you go. And I think once you kind of get the hang of what your area appreciates watching. And this is what has worked for me. That doesn't mean that this is how it works for everybody. Some people are really great at creating content that is just, you know, whether it's really funny or it's really catchy, that just proliferates really quickly across regions and borders. That hasn't been true for my content as a personal finance channel, but that is true for some people. So this is what's worked for me is figuring out what do people around me want to see and how do I try to meet those needs in my niche to get them the kind of content that they're looking to consume. So remembering those two things, both your audience, your niche, and also where you are and how do you cater to that location? Awesome. Those are great tips. Thank you for sharing. Mm -hmm. So let's uh, shift into some travel talk. So, um, <laughs> what... <laughs> <All right. laughs> so uh, what drew you to the remote worker travel life? And was it scary to start that? It was a bit of an accident for me. I mean, I was always, from the time I was a child, I knew that I wanted to live in another country. Like that wasn't really a question. And so I kind of did everything that I knew how to do to get jobs in other countries and to study abroad while I was in college, um, getting those opportunities and then trying to find work in the places that I wanted to live and work. And so it actually started out not as remote work, but rather working abroad on the ground. Um, so first I, I got my master's in Poland and then, you know, I got a job working um, with, or actually I got a fellowship with the state department, working at the ministry of education and science in Kiev in Ukraine for a year, did that then came to Poland and started working independently, creating curriculum, teaching, then got a job as director of leadership development at Teach for Armenia. So I was always kind of looking for opportunities to work elsewhere. And then it's kind of because I was doing this other job on the side uh, with the tech company with doing marketing, I was always doing that in tandem no matter where I was going. Um, and at the time, it was, a, it was a way for me to make extra cash because a lot of the work that I was doing was more humanitarian based. It was more... Um, you know, helping promote education and equal opportunity all over the world when it comes to education. Um, so it was a supplemental income situation. And when my time was coming to a close at Teach for Armenia, two strange things, not strange, but two things happened at the same time where my boss was like, come join us full time. You can work wherever you want. Two months later, COVID happens. Um, <laughs> so then everybody was doing it. Right. <laughs> So it was just one of those things. Um, 
I didn't really have any fear because I've already been working abroad for so long. And now I could just work out of my apartment, which is, you know, not very scary. I'd already had a lot of experience in Poland at that point. I had worked in, in, uh, in the region as well. So no, um, really not a lot of fear when it came to working remotely or travel or nomadic life. I think there's some anxiety everyone kind of has, and I definitely have when you're starting something new. So if I was to work remotely in a country I'd never lived in, for example, um, for a long period of time, I always have anxiety around that. So when I moved to Poland for the first time or moved to Ukraine for the first time or moved to Armenia for the first time and had to figure out my life there, those were all moments of, you know, a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of fear, not knowing, you know, things as simple as like filling your data on your SIM card are different in different places. (laughs) (laughs) And in terms of overcoming that, it's just about, you know, um, just do it, go out there and ask the questions that need to be asked and um, don't not do something because only because you're scared of it. Like if, you know, fear, false, uh, false evidence appearing real, if you don't have any solid evidence that there's something to be, you know, really worried about, then go try it. Yeah. Yeah. And I really like how, you know, everybody's remote work and travel life looks a little bit different, you know, that no matter it's different. So, you know, some people don't keep a home base, some do, you know, and so I think it's neat that um, you can kind of make it like my, in my case, for example, you know, I go, well, not currently I'll be gone for nine months, but like, Hmm. you know, I was going home about every three months or so, you know, and visiting right. friends and family and stuff. There's some people that, you know, they're just constantly moving. So I think it's cool that everyone's nomadic life can look a little bit different or travel life can look different. Um, and you can kind of set it up how it suits you. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So obviously you speak fluent Polish. Do so you teach in Polish sometimes, right? So do you speak other languages? Yeah, I, I speak relatively fluent Polish. Yeah, I don't really teach in it, but I, I work with Teach for Poland here. I speak quite a few languages to varying um, levels of proficiency. Polish is one of my strongest languages. Obviously, I have to work in that language. And, I, and I, I've lived in this country, I think, on and off the longest over any other country I've lived in except for the United States. In Ukraine, I, I learned Ukrainian. And then in Armenia, you can learn Armenian because that is the language of Armenia, but also I had to pick up Russian while in Ukraine because I spent a lot of time further east and, you know, the country is bilingual. And so I had to learn uh, Ukrainian and Russian. And then Russian came really in handy in Armenia, where they're also bilingual Armenian and Russian. So that was really helpful to me. And I, I usually spend my downtime, like when I'm in Poland, which I consider more or less my base, even though I, I move around from Poland a lot to take, you know, spare time to learn languages. It's one of my hobbies. So it, it just was like a coincidence that I was learning Russian in my downtime and then got a job, you know, in a place where Russian wouldn't be necessary. So how does working, you said you work for a U.S. company. Mm-hmm. Um, how does working in another country uh, affect your employer? That's a great question. So our entire team is actually remote. So we have the CEO in California. You've got me out here in Poland. I think for a time we had a couple of engineers over in Germany. A lot of our team is based in India. So we are a completely remote team or everybody is working in a different country or at a diff- in a different state if we had some team members in the United States. So it, it, it affects the employer in several ways. Um, the first, which I think anybody who works remotely kind of can relate to is that time differences can be a big, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) If you're working, you know, over in Europe and, you know, your counterparts over in California, that's a nine hour time difference. 
And so trying to find times that overlap with your teammates is really important. And a lot of times results in some consequences, not consequences, compromises rather. So you could work some odd hours or have a meeting at like 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Um, if you're the only one that's working remotely, then your workday will start, you know, at four or 5 PM um, or, you know, depending on where you are in the world, really early in the morning. And so just like being flexible with that. And of course, for the employer, like understanding where people are located, what that means for team meetings, how to really coordinate that in a way that makes sense. It takes an immense amount of organizational and managerial skills to make that work efficiently. And so that's something that employers, especially if they have people working remotely all over the world, have to think about more so than if you're working in the same place. So can you share some benefits that uh, that employers or companies might see from allowing flexible schedules and um, like flexible work environments? I think the biggest benefit to an employer or a company is your talent pool grows significantly mm-hmm, definitely. Definitely. because before we would focus just on your, your region or your location, which is also excellent, but you know, there are incredibly talented people located all over the world. And so you kind of open up yourself to be able to, you know, have those people working for your company. Another thing that's also a great benefit to employers is that you know, people are able to work when they are the most efficient. Mm -hmm. So especially if you have, if you're more like results-based as an organization or as a company, then people can modify their work schedules in a way that allows them to perform at optimum levels for themselves. Whereas in in a less flexible and more rigid environment, sometimes, you know, somebody who really isn't great working at 9 a.m. in the morning um, is producing <laughs> some of work at that time. <laughs> mm-hmm. And again, you know, you have a diversity of people, which means a diversity of ideas, which means a diversity of perspectives. And if you are an organization that is really more globally minded, and that really depends on the kind of company that you are, um, that can have a lot of benefits for the sort of creative solutions and ideas that your team is able to come up with. So when you do travel, like from Poland, how do you decide where to go? How long to stay? What is a, what does a typical trip look like for you? Usually when I left Poland, it was for another job, right? Uh And so I would, I would leave for anywhere from a year to two years at a time Mm -hmm. um, to complete a, a contract in another country. And then as we know, I started working remotely right before the pandemic kind of gripped us all. Um, and no one was really going much of anywhere. Now, when that more or less, some of the restrictions were eased, I was basically looking to find other people who were doing things in the same way. And so this has been recent um, where a typical trip, I want to say last a month, but then it kind of extended to like three or four. (laughs) A typical trip starts at two weeks and ends up taking four months. (laughs) That's what it seems like. So like have any communities provided resources to you that made um, your remote work easier? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think when I first started, I was kind of, I knew that I I was um, feeling really anxious after a year and a half of being stuck in one place. Mm -hmm. So I was really researching what other, are there, do these things even exist where people who have remote jobs can kind of go work remotely together? And it turns out there are quite a few of these programs. And the one that I tried out was, you know, when I met you on Hacker Paradise, 
Right. Um, and they basically make it possible. They set up your co-working space, your living environment, um, your SIM card. They get that set up for you. So that anxiety disappears <laughs> that I mentioned earlier. <laughs> and also you have a group of uh, new, interesting, dynamic people who are choosing to live their lives a little differently. And that's a very that's also been very generative, at least for me in my work experience during that time, because you're you're surrounded by people with new ideas and creative solutions. And that has been just a game changer for even my own work and how I operate. Yeah. And I think it's cool how these programs work with like local businesses mm. and local, you know, like accommodations, co-working spaces and things like that. And they work, you know, with, with organizations or businesses in the local communities to yeah. get us, you know, rural workers integrated into the community to provide the resources and make those connections that, you know, maybe it would take us you know, a week of being there to find these resources, but yeah. this, you know, this program has gone in and actually done the work, done the research, built that relationship. So you can step right into and start using that resource immediately. So I think it's really cool. So are there any specific resources that you look for, um, maybe thinking outside of what, you know, like Hacker Paradise might offer, but uh, any resources that you think would just make remote life easier? I think one of the things when you're working remotely, you don't necessarily have all the time in the world to like figure your life out because, you know, you're working for an employer. And so it has to be a seamless experience for this, the, you know, whatever it is that your job is that you're delivering in a seamless way. So I think the resources that are most important, at least for me, is a stable internet connection, Wi-Fi connection, <laughs> because it would be impossible to do anything without that. And so that could take the form of Wi-Fi, or even if you can get like local data, a lot of like local data works really well in a SIM card. I mean, that's the first thing I will look for no matter where I'm going, because I know I cannot deliver if I don't have that sorted before I leave. Mm -hmm. And so some of the things that I've done to try and preempt potential glitches on that front is try out different sort of mobile Wi-Fi devices to see if like, you know, if there is a problem with Wi-Fi when I land, how can I, you know, handle that situation when I get there, because I don't want to miss my call or whatever it is. So I tried using Solis. I think it's called the Solis Wi-Fi configuration. I will get the name on that. Yeah. The Solis Wi-Fi hotspot. Um, and it's just like this little device that's supposed to give you um, internet wherever you are. And I know like there's Google Fi and different Different sort of options for that, that work to varying with varying degrees of success, I will say, depending on where you are. So that's the one thing I really, really look for first and foremost. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So if community is like, uh, for example, clients I work with, um, you know, are cities and counties and tourism organizations. So if they want to attract remote workers to yeah. their area, whether it's, you know, long-term or whether it's for a month or wh whatnot, that, that internet needs to be what they have locked in and, and figured out. <laughs> like I can live without windows, but I cannot live without it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yes. If our, if our listeners recall probably an episode a few months ago, I, I talked about <laughs> the Africa or the Kenya window situation. <laughs> they eat a lot. <laughs> yeah. Or I should say lack of window. Lack of windows. <laughs> yes. There's holes in the wall that monkeys get to crawl through. Yeah, the monkeys are coming in. I can deal with that if there is a strong Wi-Fi connection. <laughs> Perfect. I monkeys can live. okay. 
Down yes. Wi-Fi, not okay. <laughs> exactly, because that's a, that's the basis of a lot of remote workers' work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you talked a little bit about you know it, it, it's hard to plan around you know when you're going to a new place it's hard to do some of the planning because you're working at the same time so right how do you balance that work and travel life um so for me it's about keeping a routine and I know people do this really differently because I know that some people are really good about like this blend of like work and play where they're able to, you know, kind of merge the two, but I'm a very structured person. And so, you know, in my day-to-day life, I have a lot of structures and a lot of sort of, I don't want to call them rules, but like guidelines for how I live my life. And I do my best to keep those um, when I am not, you know, based in Poland while it's happening. So the hours that I would normally work or go to the gym in my, you know, regular non-traveling life, Like that's a space that is protected for, you know, some sort of an activity, but then there's those hours that are dedicated just to working and creating those boundaries for yourself, I think are really important figuring out what works best for you. Now, for me, because I'm structured, these kind of like quote unquote rules help me to live my life on a day to day, no matter where I am, especially since I do work remotely and it's not really a necessarily a nine to five kind of situation that I work, um, definitely more results-based which actually means that I have to be a lot more structured with my time because, you know, it's my time to manage. No one's managing it for me. And so I just take a lot of those structures with me, um, no matter where I'm going. Um, and I know, Amanda, you probably heard me say something like, but it's a Tuesday <laughs> when people suggest <laughs> going somewhere on a Tuesday. What did we do that one Thursday morning? I think we went skydiving. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so could you talk a little bit about safety in other countries? Mm. Is safety a concern? How do you... I think safety is always a concern. It's something that I I always think about. I don't know if everyone um, thinks about it. Safety is something that I think about all the time and something that I, again, a lot of the time I'll have these backup internet devices at the ready, I think because of my concern for safety, Mm -hmm. like the ability to reach out if I need to in an unsafe situation, always making sure that, you know, in moments of travel, making sure that people know where I'm going, that they know when I've taken off, that I message them when I land, that they have the address where I'll be staying. Also, I try because of sort of the volatility in some of the places that I have worked, I enroll in the STEP program with the U.S. Embassy, because as we've all seen, anything can really happen at any time when you are in anywhere, really. This is true for anywhere. But specifically in a country that maybe is not your native uh, home country, and that maybe you're not as on the pulse as you would be in your own country, I think it helps to be enrolled in the STEP program with the U.S. Embassy, because in case there's any kind of unrest or war or political instability, that you have the information that you need to have when you need to have it. Because for a lot of people who maybe aren't, might be too late to leave the country. I know that there's a lot of, we're experiencing that now with um, international students, for example, in Ukraine who didn't get out early enough. Not that that's their fault at all. It's just uh, the nature of of these things. They happen overnight, they happen very quickly. Um, And so making sure that, you know, you, you are signed up with your embassies, whatever program that they might have, that are their job is to let you know, you know, when you may or may not be unsafe. They, that's their job to keep track of what's going on in the country you're staying in. So definitely recommend enrolling in that. Okay. Also, uh, like I said, making sure friends, family have the address you're staying at. Let them know when you're when you're moving around, when you're traveling, 
trying to stay with a group or with a buddy, especially if you're going out at night in a place that you're not familiar with. And also making sure to listen to the advice of your embassy. This would be the, the second time that there's been unrest in a place that I've lived. So always just making sure that, you know, if your embassy is, is telling you something, um, that you try and take that as seriously as possible, uh, because at some point it becomes too late to do anything. Um, what about when you're on trip? What, what has it been like, you know, <laughs> flying and moving around cities and things like that during, during COVID? Yeah, I think another thing with with safety is enrolling in your embassy or always checking the embassy page of wherever it is that you're going will help you get the information with regards to a pandemic um, in your language and will tell you what the new updated requirements are for whatever country or city that you're in, because sometimes certain countries have different rules for different cities. But that'll that should be at least it is on the U.S. embassy um, website. Um, over this last year, I've seen that they've always had it. So make sure that you're checking that. And also I'm gonna personal finance plug here um, <laughs> that you've budgeted for various COVID tests that you are going to need. Sometimes they're antigen, sometimes they're PCR. PCR is more expensive. Make sure you know where to get those, how much those cost. have a little cushion available um, to you and be ready. This is something that hasn't happened yet, but very well has happened, especially in the first wave, you might get stuck somewhere <laughs> and just be mentally <laughs> prepared for that. You may not be able to leave. Your camp flight might get canceled. If you don't think that that's something that you can potentially deal with, then maybe it's not the time. Because I think I, it happened to us in South Africa when the <laughs> Omicron variant hit, We all the flights got canceled. <laughs> Try and be safe and follow the guidelines of whatever country that you're in. And they all have different rules and different laws. I know, for example, in some countries require a two-day test afterwards. So in Nigeria, you had to go two days after you landed, even though you just took a, a PCR test, you have to take another one and then another one before you leave. So just make sure, and they will confiscate your passport if you don't take it. That happened to a friend of ours. Because like some places, they don't check on the two-day uh, PCR test, but in Nigeria, they did and they confiscated someone's passport. Wow. That's scary. Yeah. So I want to hear about some travel experiences. What was your funniest travel moment? Oh my God. A funniest travel moment. Goodness gracious. I really think, I mean, I wouldn't call it a moment. I would call it just an overall experience. And I really think the lack of glass in the windows, <laughs> like, I've ever had that before. And just like the idea that like monkeys were coming into our rooms and stealing people's stuff yeah. and like throwing them out the windows or like, you know, you wake up in the morning, I think a friend of ours had like monkeys jumping on the mosquito nets of the bed. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't, I can't experience, I've never experienced anything like that before. Uh, where's been your most adventurous location? Definitely. I think that was Lesotho. I had a feeling. I mean, we didn't get to stay there for too long because the Wi-Fi wasn't, you know, the strongest. It was difficult to get connection, but it was definitely, definitely the most remote, certainly the most remote location that I've ever, um, that I've ever really been to actually. Um, yeah. And it was, it was great. Highly recommend it, but, but maybe not for working, maybe not for remote yeah. working. If you can, yeah, if you can visit. It was really just an epic experience. Definitely. And for people yeah. who don't know where that is or what's significant about it, can you share just a couple of things that are? So it's actually, it's, it's an independent country that's located in South Africa. 
So it's like, if you look at the map, it's just a tiny little circle located in South Africa. And the reason it's significant is it's, how do I say, its lowest point is the highest lowest point in the world. So if you take all the lowest points of the world, it's the highest one. And for our listeners, go ahead and pause, rewind the podcast, listen to that again, pause it, and then think it through. Yeah, so its base altitude is 4,593 feet above sea level. So everything in Lesotho is higher than that. So it's the highest, lowest point in the world. The entire country entire in its entirety is entirely above uh, 3,281 feet above sea level or above 1,000 meters above sea level. Sorry, I was going to say adventurous is an understatement. So what's been your favorite location? See, that's tricky to say because I live in, in Poland and if you were to consider my life's work and all the places that I've been, obviously I like Poland the best since I kind of set up a little bit of a base here. I, I really like Warsaw, not because it's, you know, particularly adventurous or, <laughs> or funny in any way. It's just been a very easy place to live in terms of like access to public transportation, in terms of cost, in terms of access to easy access to the rest of the world. It's just been a very easy place to settle into. So in terms of like, where do I like to live and work? I really enjoy it here, but it's definitely not like an adventurous place. So if you're looking for like big adventures every weekend, I wouldn't pick Poland. (laughs) Um, (laughs) One of the best or like the places that is near and dear to my heart, maybe it's because it was the first one, um, was Kenya without the windows. I mean, (laughs) Uh, so have you, have you ever gotten lost or like, can you share a troublesome moment that you've had? I mean, nothing really dramatic, but (laughs) oh yeah. In Cape town, I got a back spasm that landed me in a hospital. (laughs) (laughs) That was troublesome. (laughs) I sneezed and then couldn't stand up for eight hours. Uh, (laughs) But I did have to take an ambulance because I was in so much pain to get to the hospital. It turns out it was just a really bad back spasm. There was nothing actually physically wrong with me, which was also troublesome because I didn't know that that could happen. So I was going to ask if you had any animal encounters, <laughs> but of course the monkeys. <laughs> yes, definitely. Especially on safari. <laughs> Especially on safari, for sure, which was also wonderful. What a wonderful oh, yeah. experience. But yeah, no, I, I would say like definitely when you don't have glass in your windows, you are going to have animal encounters. I think yes. no matter where you are. <laughs> So true. <laughs> What's been your favorite food or meal or best? Who, who's got the best food? <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so hard. It depends on what you're into. I was pleasantly surprised because I'm a big fan of Indian food. So a lot of the foods in you know um, South Africa and in Kenya had a lot of influence because of um, a larger population of people from India who live there. So I was very pleasantly surprised by that because I, I love that. That said, I also really love the food in Armenia. I just, I just love it all. <laughs> I also love, um, if you're, if you're into wine, I love Georgian wines. They're wonderful as well. So I think if you're a foodie, generally you can find food that you like everywhere. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so <clears throat> what's been your favorite um, historical destination? Yeah. And that's also so hard you know, it's, it's all subjective and other people would argue there are much more beautiful historical destinations to visit. For me, the one that always takes precedence in my mind is Krakow here in Poland. Of course, I've visited all of Europe since then and beyond, but I think it's because it was the first time for me. You always remember your first. <laughs> right. It's a medieval city. It's absolutely beautiful. 
That's really cool. There's a medieval city uh, here in Portugal where I am that I yeah. really want to go check out. I, I find that so fascinating too. Yeah, castles in Sintra. That's where I'm, I've heard. Oh, I love it. Yeah, beautiful. Sintra is gorgeous. Yeah. I might actually go there this weekend. I'm pretty excited. Oh, <laughs> uh, anything else about your travels that you would like to share? Anything fun, interesting? Just wherever you choose to go, wherever you're going, just you know, keep an open mind. And I think being flexible is really key because things do change really quickly, especially now um, with COVID. But in general, things change quickly. Things are different than you expect them to be. And just have a great sense of humor while you're at it. So just be flexible and, and try and have fun with it. So can you share your top travel hack or top thing you've learned that's just been um, like a game changer in your travel life? Okay, I have one. I just learned it. If you have the ability to afford the priority pass to the airport lounges, (laughs) let me tell you, I mean, the lounge just changed my life. When you have a layover that's like not long enough for you to leave the airport, but not short enough to be painless, the airport lounges are something else. I mean, and using them, I, I think I use it in my layover in Istanbul and just like having a fresh shower after such a long flight, um, having a meal um, that is prepared for you and, you know, you have unlimited food and unlimited drink uh, without having to worry about getting in all those lines that happen at the, um, the, at the gates. I feel like if you can do that, it just completely changed my life. <laughs> so last question, how for like a remote worker who maybe wants to travel more, how would you suggest they get started? Okay. If you're just getting started, I would really suggest finding a way to get in one of these groups like Hacker Paradise or Wi-Fi Tribe or Remote Year. Um, there are quite a few. I think you mentioned outsides only because when you're first starting, it really helps to have a lot of things set up for you in the beginning, because that way you can just seamlessly get to work when you land. You're not really worrying about where do I stay and where is their internet and this and that. So that's a really good way to get your toes wet, um, especially, and, and, and also the community is, is, is great. So I would definitely start there. So you're not kind of going it alone, especially if that's where, if you're just starting out. Yep. And I, I would totally um, second that. I think that seeing the process with someone Mm. kind of guiding you for things like getting a SIM card and, um, you know, starting to find the co-working spaces and just all those little things that you'd have to figure out on your own for the first Mm -hmm. time going through it, you know, with, with help is just invaluable. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. It changes everything. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Alexis, for being on the podcast. You know, when we met and as I've uh, gotten to know you, I just love your story and what you're doing. And I was really excited when Golden Shovel, my my co-part, actually, Darren was like, oh, you know, remote worker series. I'm like, I know the perfect person to interview first. (laughs) Amazing. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And for all our listeners, like Alexis said, you can find her on TikTok and YouTube. And that is Tabu Money, T-A-B-U Money. And I'll add the links and everything in the show notes. You can find her and check out her wanderlust and personal financial videos. So for, for people who are interested in supporting, you know, a lot of the refugees in Ukraine, mm-hmm. I don't know if I can send you some some links to some organizations that are taking donations. Because again, we have millions of people coming through here that need a place to stay and food and hygiene products and things like that. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Go and send them and I'll add them to the show notes for sure. Great. Thank you so much.
Thank you, Amanda. And I am really looking forward to uh, future episodes in your remote workers series. All right, it's time for some Golden Shovel promotion. If you are in the Golden Shovel Network, you probably received an email on our new white paper, Solve Your Workforce Shortage Problems Now. Um, You can download that going going to goldenshovelagency.com if uh, you have not already downloaded that. Also, social media, Facebook, like us at Shovel Toss. Twitter, follow us at Gold Shovel. LinkedIn, follow us at Golden Shovel and subscribe to our YouTube channel at Golden Shovel Agency. As you may have heard in the beginning of this pod, we are playing a little catch up. So we should have a new one um, dropped very soon. And that is already recorded. And it is Alicia Wilson, the first economic developer for Johns Hopkins University and Johns Hopkins Health System. So Bethany Quinn led, led that interview. And we're really looking forward to getting that edited and dropped very soon. Thank you again for listening. And we'll see you next time on Shovel Talk.